and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. I'm today's host, Megan Payne, and today I have with me Luke Boggs. How you doing, Luke? Oh, I'm doing great. Just uh, happy, happy to be here as always. Awesome. Well, today it's just going to be a fast and loose show with Luke and me. Uh, we're going to just give some quick reactions to the DNC, which finished up. Um, we were recording on Friday, so it finished up last night. So without further ado, what are your kind of off-the-cuff thoughts about the DNC for the past four days? Yeah, so I actually managed to watch pretty much all of it, which I'm honestly surprised about because I hadn't planned on doing that, but then it just happened to work out. And the thing that I was like really wondering was, because there's really like two big conversations happening online about the um, conventions and just in political series in general, like, is this digital format going to be terrible and we all hate it? Or is this going to be the future of conventions? Because the thing that I thought was really funny is that like a lot of the activist minded friends that I have were like, Oh, this convention is going to suck. And we're going to, you know, it's going to be terrible. Then like everyone who's ever worked on a campaign uh, that I listen to in podcasts or like read their stuff. We're all like, I really think this is going to turn out to be way better. And I think, if anything this this uh convention taught us is that like in the future assuming coronavirus eventually does you know get get handled and that we have a vaccine and we can return to normalcy that future conventions should learn a lot from this convention because frankly some of the content and speakers of this convention would not have worked in the traditional like giant hall and i think the uh, gravity of some of the messages and conversations that this uh, convention let us have really, really worked in the video format without an audience. And we, we can go into more specific cases there, but that's my big takeaway of it. Like, I actually really liked this. I thought the format was, it was very obvious it was the first time anyone had done it, but for it being the first time, there were some genuinely really great segments of that. I would 100% agree. There's always something to be said for especially as somebody that does speak professionally, there's something to be said for speaking in front of an audience and that sort of energy and those feelings, but they did really well without all that. So I'm going to 100% agree with, with those aspects. The only part I might disagree on is the actual watching of the convention itself for the audience, right? The convention was great. It was well-planned. It had a lot of elements that were worked really well, but the actual watching was confusing and bizarre. I think there were just too many ways to watch it. And so people got confused as well as this host your own watch party thing that kept happening through mobilize.us. If for those of you who, who may not be such a a geek that as I am and have already been like, all right, what are all the technical assets out there for the Biden Harris campaign? There is an app and also a website and the app and website both play nicely with a bunch of other apps and websites, except for it's a little bit confusing as to what where things live sometimes if you're trying to navigate to them outside of that. And one of the things that it encouraged you to do is to set up a watch party through mobilize.us. But then you had lots of conflicting watch parties, lots of watch parties with the same name, watch parties that looked like they were hosted all by the same organization, such as Georgia Democratic Party or Democratic Party of Georgia, rather but then were actually hosted by other people. And so that was a little bit confusing. I also saw in the Young Democrat Slack, a bunch of people getting on basically being like, where am I supposed to be watching this? Because some of them were on threads that were 
freezing. Some of them were trying to watch it through the TV networks, those sorts of things. So I will say that is the only glitch, if you will, that I saw with this. Just it was confusing for the end user. Did you experience that too? No, that's uh, just so funny because so alien to my response. So I I guess like with me, like I never, like I understand why those like hokey, like let's do a watch party things are important and like I've gone to them before, but like I'm just such a homebody that I'm just used to like watching conventions on my couch by myself or, you know, luckily these days I got my wife to watch it with me and she actually really liked it. Um, But, you know, uh, I, I was, I was very blessed that i didn't even try to do anything like that and i was just like oh it's on youtube <laughs> and the dnc has a youtube page and i just streamed it from there which good on them because they had a spanish feed and a uh american sign language feed as well so it's like i accidentally logged onto the sign language feed one time i was like is this the only one and then i, I backed out i was like uh, no okay they had they just have multiple versions of the same stream so i thought that was cool of them trying to be inclusive and you know give people options uh and i, I really appreciated that for sure. They did They did a great job with that. Like, yeah, it was really just the watch party and like where to watch it bit. If I hadn't been trying to socialize the entire event, because I go to watch parties, right? I'm constantly at the Georgia Beer Garden down in Atlanta watching election results come in and things like that. So I'm like, okay, well, I want to do that just virtually. And that was where things got a little weird. Some other things that like kind of related to it being technical that I think maybe people didn't necessarily realize were that was that there was programming during the day. You know, everyone knew about kind of the 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern. But Luke, did you get to log into any of the daytime programming? I did not. It's one of those things like there's always programming during the day that no one pays attention to. And I mean, hell, when it's in person, there's even speeches during the day sometimes. And so... Uh, like most of the time I, I just don't follow that stuff because I am, I'm really being a state politics guy and that like, that's where I put a lot of my energy and like trying to push and influence things. And so I, I'm happy enough to just like read the, the articles covering the like 8 million DNC meetings that happen and caucus meetings and all those kinds of conversations. I'm just happy to like read those after the fact rather than you know, work to actively participate in those. But I knew they were happening and I was, you know, in the, it's one of those things where it's like, it feels like it's hard to look, but like the DNC did try to like have a calendar on their website. And it's just, if you're trying to go anywhere but the source, it's really hard to find it. But if you just like type in DNC convention and go to the website they launched, it wasn't as bad in my experience. Cause I always just like to see what they're doing, even if I don't actually go to it. Right. No, that website was great. And that's how I got to anything I wasn't trying to do with a watch party. I got to it through that site and that site was great. That is how I got to experience a lot of the daytime programming. You know, me being a caucus chair through Young Democrats of Georgia, I went to as many caucus events as I could find or caucuses and councils. They're kind of, they're similar organizations, if you will, within the DNC. Sub-organizations. Thank you. Yes. Similar sub-organizations. And so I went to as much of that as I could find time for during the day, as well as there were some trainings that I didn't get to go to, but that I noted that were off of the site. And I wonder, um, I want to find out if I know anyone who went to that and see how those went, because um, that was pretty exciting to see. So, so what was like the most interesting caucus or council meeting that you went to? So, I mean, this is stereotypically me, the LGBTQ um, what? No. <laughs> That's impossible. Yeah, who would have thought? So it wasn't anything groundbreaking or anything I didn't think that they would talk about, right? But it's always kind of a nice refresher, a nice reminder that 
you're not in this alone as a member of this caucus. There are people who are thinking about it and working on it as well. We have resources and it is something that is able to influence the DNC overall, given that is it is a recognized organization within the greater organization. The Youth Council was also good too. Yeah, well, I'm I'm happy to hear that because one you know one thing, and I, I honestly think this convention just had so much stuff. It, free will and Bob Dylan's the best way to to do this. And the the one thing I think this convention did really well in comparison to previous conventions was that. Sometimes the Democratic Party gets in this like really bad habit of seeing itself as a collection of interest groups and not like a unified party or even trying to lead a unified nation. And and so like there'll there'll be a lot of times where I feel like Democratic campaigns or speakers will like have a checklist. It's like I said something for the minorities. I said something for the gays. Like you know, it's like it's very like derivative and bad. And I hate it when it feels that way. And one thing I really loved about this convention that it really felt to me that like the overriding message is like, look, we're all Americans first. There's some specific issues with specific groups of Americans we should care about. But like at the end of the day, the most important thing is we're all Americans. And while some Americans are not being taken care of in the way that they need to be, we're all struggling right now. And so focusing on the large problems we're all facing and the the targeted solutions for the groups that are really bad off was like the message I feel like really resonated um, throughout the whole convention that I thought we as a party did a better job of this year because sometimes we get so focused on these this group has this problem that group has that problem all these things are all connected and the overall thing is the values that like lead you to caring about these issues and i think on on that front this convention did really really well for sure so one last kind of question about the format of the convention if you will and then we can kind of get into more of the meat and potatoes of what actually happened but did you get to watch any of the quote-unquote pre-show events before the actual 9 to 11 true convention no i actually i only watched the yeah so i I guess i should have been uh, more clear when i said i watched the whole thing I, i i watched the 9 to 11 segments every night all the way through so Cool. So one of the things that I really enjoyed about the pre-show is that I felt like they did a good job of making, well, and and the the general meat and potatoes of the convention too, as well produced. It was entertaining as well as informative. And before the pre-shows highlighted this Twitch channel um, that was called Behind the Rhyme. And they, they called the series Your Voice, Your Vote. And it was a Twitch channel that highlighted a lot of Black American performers. And I I love Twitch. I'm on Twitch pretty much every evening, um, just watching either somebody game or somebody do ASMR or just, you know, whatever there is out there. So it was already a platform that I was on. I felt like it, it was a really good platform to reach, you know, the younger folks. The youth. Right, the youth that, that were trying to, you know, kind of get out the vote. Um, But the other one that I got to watch that was really exciting, the other pre-show event was, of course, Pod Save America Live. Gotta love those Pod Save guys. Wish we could say that they were friends of our pod. I'd love to be friends of their pod. But that said, um, I think John Lovett gave a really good plea for those who are wanting to abstain or vote third party. Um, And I'm going to play a recording of it now. The Electoral College sucks. The two-party system does not always prevent the best options or options that reflect your views. Uh, you're not wrong to feel that way. However, it's either going to be Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Those are the options. 
If you want to vote for a third party in a non-swing state, you can do it as long as you promise to go get three votes for Joe Biden in a swing state. You can do that and then you can cast your protest vote and make sure people understand your reservations. But we all have an obligation to do everything we can to make sure Trump loses and, and Joe Biden wins because uh, those are the two options before us and nothing you say can change that. I really like the way he put that. It's a conversation that I have been having a lot, especially this week. Um, what I've been telling my friends is that if one more Bernie bro at me, something might explode in Atlanta and it, it might be me. Yeah, well, we definitely don't want that. Uh, I, I, I've been having a lot of that conversation and the uh, the persuasion conversation with a lot of people in my life. And, you know, it, it every vote does matter and it, it does count in... I, I wish we were in a system where people, you know, one, felt better about the people who could potentially lead them. I mean, I am, you know, especially after this convention, and we'll, I'm sure we'll hit on this, but it's like I'm actually excited to vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, now after this convention and just seeing how well they have uh, handled this, you know, these tests that they've faced and just I, I feel like they're a very good team. So I'm, I'm excited for that. But I recognize that there are a lot of people who are not. And that's fine. And, you know, for me, the judgment of, you know, if, if someone agrees with me 80%, then they're my friend, not my enemy, is like a really easy decision for me. I understand some other people don't see it that way. And so I just, you know, really wish there was uh, room for reform in these areas where we could do things like ranked choice voting so that people could articulate their displeasure with the binary uh, of the Republican and Democratic Party um, and, and, do that in a way that did not like harm democracy overall because um, i think more choice is, is better and while i'm a you know very happy democrat i suspect i will vote for democrats until i'm dead um i, I understand some other people aren't that way and that's fine and so I, I feel like that's a place where the democracy should uh work better rather than force people into these these binaries but we live in this system so uh until until we're uh we have those reforms i feel like we really got to uh Accept the reality that there's only one way to get rid of Donald Trump, and that is to vote against him. And the only person you can really viably say has a chance to be the president besides him is Joe Biden. So that means you have to vote for Biden Harris. Right. Well, what did what did Andrew Yang say? It's all about the math. Um, Electoral College literally can't support a third party with the way things are right now. So voting third party essentially just means that there are fewer votes for Biden to be able to win against Trump. And most states also don't divide their electoral college delegates. So even like, let's say in Georgia, if we get 51% Biden, 49% Trump, every single one of our electoral college votes is going to go to Biden, which would be great if it were the other way around. That would not be great, in my opinion. Um, although to be abundantly clear, I'm not thrilled. I, I realize that you're Luke, probably a little bit more excited to vote for Biden-Harris than I am. I've already expressed some concerns with Biden. I didn't, I was, I had laryngitis the day that we did the Harris reaction, so I didn't get to come on. But I am not thrilled about her as the VP choice. But what I will say is that I will take better over bad any day. And what I plan to do is vote for Biden-Harris to get others to vote Biden-Harris and to openly support them. And then once they're in and we can stop talking about Trump every five seconds, then to continue to push the party in a more progressive direction. And to the Bernie bros who tell me that they're just going to ignore me, I wish you could see my fingers and the screen right now. 
well, this is a family-friendly show, <laughs> but, you know, with, with that, though, I mean, yeah, like, I, I'm excited for this ticket, but I also expect I will be very frustrated with it and that there will be things that uh, I, I would wish they'd make different decisions, but that is true of every, you know, every politician, and uh, I I suspect with with very little trepidation that the Biden-Harris administration would be more willing to listen to people like me and you than, you know, the Trump and Pence administration 2.0. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not really as worried about that uh, aspect of it and am happy, happy with this ticket because I think in these circumstances, it is where where we're at. And, and one thing that... um. I can't take credit for this idea. I'm pretty sure it's John Dickerson's uh, of CBS and 60 Minutes who has this thought, but it's very true. I feel like a lot of times presidential elections, we like elect the polar opposite of the person we elected previously. So, you know, George Bush and Barack Obama, pretty different people. (laughs) Barack Obama and Donald Trump, definitely different people. But this race and I think this convention really highlighted a, a key difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, which is that, Joe Biden is a decent man who has humility and cares about people and has empathy. And Donald Trump is the antithesis of all of those things and proudly so. Uh, and, and I think that aspect of like in this moment, like will Joe Biden be the best articulator and pusher of policy? I really want like, no, but like, that's not what every president has to be because many great presidents were people who didn't really care about the specifics of policy, but like wanted the objectives and wanted to achieve things and get things done. And, and that's what, you know, that's why we have a Senate. That's why we have a house for people to come up with great ideas and to push those ideas and push Biden to say, you know, to get the votes for their great idea versus someone else's great idea. And I think that is something people should recognize that like, we're not just electing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Like we're electing senators and we're electing, uh, Congress people and state house people and all all of these people will work together rather than you know Biden is the overlord and uh, declares what he wants and that's what happens. Uh, while that's what the Trump presidency has felt like for a lot of people, that's that's not actually the norm. So I, I think people need to remember that. Right. And then the last thing I'll kind of say on that topic is BT Dubs Bernie Bros. You guys realize that Bernie himself just endorsed this ticket. So like if he can get on board. Surely you can too. Yeah, and that's probably a, a good place to transition to the uh, the roll call stuff, right? Is that what you're about to do? Yeah, that's an awesome segue, Luke, because um, that is exactly where I was going. So yes, we got to see the state and territory roll call, um, which normally is something that happens, you know, at a non-broadcast convention. So what were your thoughts on that? Uh, I loved it. I mean, I love America. <laughs> I am I'm very patriotic. I'm a big fan of the diversity of the country. And so I really love doing this like tour around America and seeing all the different accents and cultures and uh, stuff like that highlighted. I thought that was excellent. Um, and I, I really also enjoy like the old style, like convention hall version of it. But I really don't see how you do that again after just like how good the roll call was and how much people liked it. Um, I, I wish, I, I hope someone like way smarter than me about like press stuff can come up with a way to like combine both formats because uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I think it'll, it will be very hard for me uh, to imagine the convention style version like being that in the future. Yeah, that was pretty neat. Um, 
you know, a couple of them made me kind of want to cry, uh, including our own Nakima Williams in front of the John Lewis mural. I was a little bit surprised that she did it herself, like by herself, since so many of the others did it in larger groups. But at the same time, I think what she was trying to do is basically bring John Lewis onto the stage with her. Um, so yeah, you want to talk about, you know, kind of getting me in the feels that one did. Um, what I really thought was interesting was some of the reactions on that to that that I saw on social, which was that I think a lot of people thought that those delegate votes were protest votes because they didn't understand how it worked. Did you, did you see some of the same stuff? Yeah, I think what you're referring to specifically is the the votes that Bernie got, yes. right? Yeah, so like I didn't see people talking about the votes as much as I did about AOC's seconding speech yes. uh, for, for Bernie. And it's just like, Bernie ran a campaign. He ran a pretty good campaign. He ended up not winning. And I think... Any candidate that meets the threshold the party sets for having their delegates read out at the convention, like, they deserve that recognition. And I also think, and this is basically what AOC said after the fact, but, like, they deserve, you know, that 30 seconds, the two minutes, whatever they gave him, for someone to, like, make the pitch of, like, why all these people voted for Bernie and why they thought he should have been the nominee and not Biden. Because that, like, didn't go away. Like, all these people voted for Bernie, all these people supported Bernie. I think that's great, because I think the party's better when there is competition. And I think, like, his supporters deserve the recognition, the bare minimum recognition of just, like, pointing out how many people voted for him and how many delegates they got. Uh, which, you know, is important to the background meetings that you were talking about, Megan, of just, like, all the meetings that happened during the day, because those delegates like actually voted on some things mm -hmm. and so i you know i think it's like really it's this is a not story and it's honestly like yes the Bernie bros are annoying on twitter and that is their god-given right in this free country of ours um but like the press like was really irresponsible here in some places because again like the point of a seconding nomination is not to second guess the person you're nominating by saying well like i really think joe biden should be president but i'm giving this nomination speech for bernie it's like no like you're giving that person their moment mm -hmm. and any other year if you know it had been bernie's convention and, and joe biden's seconding speech or like even liz warren's second seconding speech like they would have done the same thing it wasn't a snot it wasn't them being snoggy or anything it was just like that's what you do at conventions Exactly. So what what other highlights did you experience or, or did you just find yourself really enjoying during the, the convention? Yeah, so I think I think we've hit like all the uh process stuff I would want to talk about this convention. And so like the rest of it I would say is just like the actual like substantive speech stuff. And there's five speeches that like I imagine I will think about when I come come away from this convention and think about it again. Um, one, one of, and all of these, I think are marked by the fact that I actually think they played better without an audience, which I, I think is a, a take that some other people have had as well. But so the first one I would hit on is, uh, Kristen Urquiza, whose father passed away from COVID. There's been a lot of coverage of this speech, but just like to hit the, the high or unfortunately low points, I guess, is that, you know, she, she said the only mistake her father made was trusting Donald Trump, which I think is a very, very pow powerful message. And uh, it's just that that one that one hit me hard. Mm -hmm. And then the the other speeches, I think probably the best thing to do is for me to just list them and then we can talk about mm -hmm. them one on one. But like 
both of the Obamas. Um, I know you you were a huge fan of Michelle Obama's speech, and I was too. But you know, Barack Obama always like I feel like a lot of his speeches are just like written for me <laughs> because I'm such a his I'm just such a history nerd and such a lover of democracy that it's just like I feel like honestly most of his speeches could start with like Hey Luke, let's talk about your things because <laughs> uh, that's how I feel like most of the time he gives a speech. And then Elizabeth Warren, I thought did an excellent job and was like putting a great role um and and we'll come back to that because i have a lot of thoughts there and then uh both of the bygans did did really really well and i think jill jill bygan especially i think her speech in a normal year where there was an in-person convention they would have wanted to put it in the convention hall but like after that i i honestly that was just so perfect of just illustrating like her strengths and like why she is will be an excellent first lady and also just like her story with with joe i thought was was done really really well there and then i actually thought biden's speech was really good and specifically the one thing i want to point out with his uh is that his speech made so much more sense well actually let's wait and we'll come back around to his before i go into it i totally agree with that list luke um i like you said i was a huge fan of the michelle obama speech although to be frank, I am just a huge fan of Michelle Obama. I mean, it's hard not to right. be. Um, I just, like, I listen to her podcast. I've read her book. I like all those sorts of things. And so her speech, you know, you, you say that Barack Obama talks to you. Well, Michelle Obama talks to me. Um, and so that was definitely my favorite. But I think your list was extremely comprehensive as far as my favorites go, too. So let's dive into each of these. And since it was your list, even though I do agree with it, um, do you want to just kind of go ahead and give me your overarching thoughts? Because I bet you anything we're going to agree. Yeah. So, start, you know, starting with uh, Michelle Obama's speech, I, I think you're right that she speaks to folks like you because the the people I've always felt that Michelle Obama speaks really well to are people who don't really like the capital P politics part of politics and hate hate the BS, which you know, I, I, I don't like the BS, but I, I sort of tolerate it and slash deal with it and follow it just because... I, I'm a creature of, of self-torture. So, yeah, I feel like she's really, really great at that. I think what was so powerful about her speech is that, like, Michelle Obama is someone who does not like to get into these kinds of conversations and, like, wants to avoid them. Uh, and, like, I feel like that she has basically been, like, muttering this speech to herself under her breath for, like, a, a couple of years and, like, just not, like, wanting to say it. It's like, no, nah, I'm just going to keep it myself. I'm going to keep it myself. And then... Things have just gotten so bad that she just couldn't do it. <laughs> she got to a point where she's just like, no, like, I have to say this. And and I feel like that sort of uh, energy is is really what um, we, we needed from her, too, just because it's one of those things that, um, and this is true of Obama's speech, too, and I'll go, I'll go there next, is that I, generally speaking... I'm a fan of the idea that ex-presidents should not like be overly critical of their predecessors because I think that's just like good practice and good governance, and I think and that just is, is better for democracy. Yeah, yeah, all those things. I, I agree with like pretty much all those things. But like pretty much everything Trump does is unprecedented, and so you have to be unprecedented in your reactions to him. And so I think. I mean, Obama basically says it himself. It's just like, it's just 
there are times where you just can't be quiet about these things. And it's very obvious, whether you agree with it or not, that Barack Obama genuinely feels that Trump is a threat to democracy. And if someone genuinely feels that, I think they have a right to, to speak up about it and to, you know, talk about it. Um, and I think that, um, was really important. And I think just highlighting this moment that we're in, I think both what the Obamas were focused on, was actually very different than what the the a lot of the other parts of the convention were because I feel like they were talking a lot to the people who they inspired in 2008 and 2012 that have kind of like fallen out of the political game to some extent. So they're very much talking to people who, generally speaking, I imagine agree with Democrats but like have lost faith in the process. And this is something I, I know you wanted to talk about and I think this is an appropriate time to put it in here. I know a lot of Democrats were frustrated by just like how many Republicans spoke at this convention, mm -hmm. but I, I really was not. Um, and the reason why is because I think the thing that is really, really important for this election is for it not to just be like a Democratic victory. It needs to be a thorough and complete repudiation of Donald Trump and his ideology and the people that support him. And so I think, well, like, you know, I've appreciated john Kasich more than a lot of democrats especially just because i you know i've had a lot of <laughs> healthcare issues in my life and people in my life with health care issues and so like the fact that he expanded obamacare like in a political climate that was not favorable to doing that for him like i i think he deserves credit for that and there's other decisions that he is properly derided for um on the left and the right and so i but that being said like i think if you're going to be someone who very unambiguously said Donald Trump is a threat to the country and we should elect Joe Biden, like Kasich got no points on his issues giving that speech. Like that speech was entirely like my party has screwed up terribly and we must get rid of this guy. And I feel like when you're giving that speech where it's completely void of your policy disagreements with the party and it's more focused on the reality that we live in, I think it's important. And, um, and that, and that hits on what I think the Bidens were doing as well, which <clears throat> there, there were two elements of this convention, I think, that were really, really focused and really well done, which was the Trump is, a, is not only a threat to this country and has failed in every way he possibly could, like he's found new ways to fail uh, in dealing with, with COVID, is that like Joe Biden is a decent human being. <laughs> like, and the fact that like that actually has to be a, a argument in a convention that you're not a bad person and that it actually like resonates so hard, I think is, is a sign of the, the rough time we're in right now because just, just like Trump very clearly is not a decent person. Like he's many things and you could think they're admirable in that he is, you know, for, for people who don't like liberals and don't like people on the left, he is very tough and he is relentless in his criticism of liberals. And maybe you love him for that, but like he Biden was making an argument that that's not what this country needs right now, and that like what we need is a grandpa to put everything back together and make us all like calm down and try to heal you know the wounds of the country, and that we're gonna have someone who's focused on that project rather than on their pet projects of you know hatred and bigotry and division mm -hmm. and I think the convention was like just very very 
effective at that because, well, you know, I, I was a big fan of the Obama administration and I followed both of his campaigns very closely. And so as a natural side effect of that, I have like followed Joe Biden for a long time. And like pretty much none of this was news to me. But I think just the effectiveness of like the Amtrak ad they did for him that like Joe Biden is friends with people he rode with on the train every day and like still talks to these people and like cares about them. I think it's just like really, really important contrast to Donald Trump, who is is masquerading as the champion of the everyman, but like doesn't even understand anything going on in any of these people's lives. Whereas like Joe Biden is like clearly emotionally affected by his like Amtrak friends. Yeah, that's I mean, so what you said, Luke, is reasonable. I think my thing is that going back to the Republican piece of it, I could appreciate it once. I really didn't enjoy that it was Kasich. I have a lot of problems with some of the things that Kasich has done, um, which are is like a, a whole other episode in and of itself. But that said, okay, fine. He was willing to speak. Give him the mic for a little bit. Give some Republicans the mic for a little bit. But I really thought we were going to leave that behind on convention day one. And it literally came up every day of the convention, which that's more what was frustrating to me. It wasn't that it happened at all. It's that... Okay, great. We've established this, but now we like keep harping on it, and I was kind of done with it. Um, but as far as what I wanted more of was what you're talking about that the Bidens did, right? We got it, right? Like there are Republicans, and hopefully many of them, that think that Trump is horrible. But what no, I, I would I would pause there. The reason I think they did it every night is the fact that there are a lot of people who don't get that. Like, this is, like, I, I, because I, I know these people, they're in my life. Like, I have to convince them, like, no, George W. Bush is basically saying he's not voting for Trump. And, and he didn't last time, by all accounts. And it's, like, it's just, it's one of those things that, like, I understand their frustration because, like, you know, the, the placard outside is the Democratic Convention. Mm -hmm. And so it feels weird that you, like, you have, like, two hours every night and you're, for four nights, so you have eight hours and you're giving Republicans, like, 25 minutes at least, like, every night. It feels weird. Yes. But, like, this is a weird election. And, and Obama hits on this point really well, but, I mean, they all do, is that, like, the democracy is threatened. Like, this is not, like, a Republican versus Democrat election. Like, the way I, I, I really feel like this convention framed in when we talk about Biden's speech at the end like to me like i'm starting to frame this election it's like this is an election where your choice is america or trump like what do you want like do you want america with all its problems all its shakiness all its like tr you know trying to do the right thing trying to be a more perfect union but failing at it or do you just want trump because that's the option mm -hmm. it's like basically can we just keep working on our problems and accept them or do you want trump and i i would much rather take our you know the the flawed casics of the world <laughs> than the trump I mean, fair, fair. I just, like I said, I wanted to voice that it was a little bit, it was not what I wanted from the DNC. What I wanted was more of what you talked about, about the Biden speeches and, and, and things about like how we have learned more about Biden and how also if they made me cry one more time during that convention, I swear my, my record or my average rate was twice every night. Yeah, no, the, the video before Biden's speech where they're basically anything about Bo Biden makes me me tear up because that just everything around his story is just so tragic and terrible 
and just, you know, not fair in every way you can imagine, uh, both for Bo, but also for, you know, Joe Biden, whose life has just been one tragedy after another to some extent. Um, one personal tragedy, you know, I mean, because obviously his professional career has been quite successful. Um, but, you know, yeah, but it's just it's it's very hard to think about. But uh, not to forget her, <laughs> my primary vote, the person who did not get any delegates, uh, Elizabeth Warren. I want to hit on her speech real quick. Please because... do, because you know she was my vote, too. So let's talk about Warren. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, the thing I loved about hers is that, like, I always felt like there were there were two Warrens on the campaign trail, and it's really funny, because the one I thought was the most effective was actually the one I didn't prefer as much, because there was the Elizabeth Warren who's like, I have all these plans and policies and ideas, and I'm gonna, I'm really, really great at implementing those ideas, and that is why you should elect me. Like, that's the Warren I voted for, but the other thing I love about the speech is that it was, you know, just displaying both parts of Warren but emphasizing the part of her that I always thought was more effective which is ironically not the part that I like the most about her because what I really you know love Elizabeth Warren for is like I have a plan I have thought this out I have a great plan how to fix this problem and I can articulate to you exactly how I'm going to do it and like that is what I get excited for in a politician but the other part of her was just like her personal story and the fact that they picked the venue of like a a school for her it was just so perfect because you know she had a clear dream that she wanted to follow and she wanted to teach and that was what she was really excited for in life and that basically like her story she never puts it this way but the way i always have interpreted her story is that like basically the america she found herself in did not allow that possibility to come to fruition Mm -hmm. and that like that is part of what she's been fighting for is that for the you know people who would love to just teach people and make a living about that, you know, doing that would be able to do it because just the, you know, the story that I've always found so powerful with her was just like her being a single mother, being overwhelmed and her aunt basically saying, I'll drop everything and come help you. And the fact that like most people don't have that person in their life, like I'm, I'm blessed enough to think that I probably do, but a lot of people don't have that person who would just uproot their life for you to help you achieve your dreams. And I think to some extent, you know, that is where, uh, policy decisions and investments can can step in to make it so more people's aunts don't have to do that as great as it is that you know uh, elizabeth warren's aunt did do that and so like that version of her where she's just like clearly articulating the why behind everything she does i mean they could not have used her more appropriately for this convention um and i i just i just really liked they gave her that role in that way because i thought it was very effective for sure did you see the easter eggs behind her i just i did i did notice i I did not notice at the time i will admit but yes there were uh in big blocky you know child toy letters blm behind her which i i just yeah Yeah. really really great so Um, there's more than that i just sent you an article Um, I, the only one of this article that I caught just, you know, for reference for our listeners, this is the New York times article, um, entitled Elizabeth Warren was surrounded by Easter eggs as she addressed the convention. Um, we'll link it in the show notes. Um, the only one of these that I saw was BLM, which I do want to call out that the convention did a pretty good job of not only in pre-show, as I mentioned earlier, but also during the show, making sure to call out the fact that we are currently undergoing a major issue in the nation with people with who are black not being treated correctly and so i hope we continue to see more of that and that that's not just pandering but of course that will remain to be seen but luke did you did you see the list i sent yeah honestly 
it's so funny because I've been t- I've been telling people this and like this list of, of things <laughs> behind Elizabeth Warren like makes it feel even more true. There were elements of this convention that felt like an episode of Mr. Rogers. And as someone who grew up grew up with Mr. Rogers, like I I love PBS vibes. And so with with that, I I, I really appreciate the the small uh, throwbacks to Dream Big and Fight Hard and all, all those other things because it, it is just something that PBS would do and I, I just love it. So, Luke, I know we are coming up on uh, the time we have lot- allotted for this, but you wanted to talk a little bit about Jill Biden. So why don't you go ahead? Yeah, and I feel – so same, same thing here is that, like, I feel like a, like a lot of people know Joe Biden, but comparatively even fewer know anything about Jill, and that's partially because she very purposely kept herself out of the limelight when he was vice president and, like, continued to teach at her community college, which apparently she still wants to do that even if he wins, which I love, and I think it's great. And it's just, like, I didn't really know their story at all. And I think just having someone, like, validate all those things is always really important. I mean, Michelle Obama did that for Barack Obama as well. I mean, just, like, every president, every every candidate, every nominee, like, has their wife do this role, you know, except, you know, the... the the constant constant asterisk of donald trump and melania but it it was just like i i don't know it's just one of those things that like their energy their genuine like love for each other is so deep and so obvious that i think it um really shines through and shine through in her her speech for him and the thing that like i i appreciate it about it for her is that like while it wasn't a pitch for like hey i would be a really good first lady they're like that basically is what came out in that is that like you know the that they're a package deal and that like the the because i i really have felt an absence in this administration of just like being leaguers of america because like you know george w bush had a lot of disagreements with him but like laura bush was like pretty good first lady as far as first ladies go yeah like she was like really genuinely concerned with education and like did a lot to promote education being important and like i have nothing negative to say about laura bush on those topics and on how she operated in that role and so like having a first lady who like cares (laughs) and like wants to be a role model even if in a small way like i think that is a great thing i think she advocated that really really well and also advocated for joe biden really well because the, the thing that I think a lot of, like, the negative voices on the left, like, feel like Joe Biden might not care about them, and I feel like it's really hard to, like, get that impression after paying attention to this convention, because he just very clearly cares about a lot of people, um, and is, is very genuine about that. Um, and I, I, you know, to just keep us rolling right along, since we've gone longer than we thought we would, um, Joe Biden, like, Trump is employing a very strange political strategy, which is to constantly raise expectations for himself and to lower expectations for his opponent. Like, if there was a textbook on how to campaign for president, that would be a whole chapter of, like, why you don't do that and why you should do the opposite. Because basically, like, I'm genuinely shocked at this point that Donald Trump has not gone on TV and said, you know Joe Biden's gonna piss his pants on stage when we debate. Like, literally piss his pants. Because, like, that is basically where he set the bar. That, like, he's completely senile and that he can't finish a sentence and can't do anything right. And, like, I like I, I really feel like if he does, if Joe Biden doesn't piss his pants, he will win the first debate <laughs> just on that alone. And so, like, when Joe Biden came out there, like, was this the greatest piece of American oratory that will be taught for generations? Hell no, it was not. But, you know, what it was... 
And I think because there was not a crowd there he was able to do this, it really felt like an FDR fireside chat where, like, we're just in our living room and Joe Biden's talking to us. It's a little weird that he's standing at a podium doing it, but, like, that's what it feels like. And so this speech was just, like, so, so just, like, we're better than this. Like, you're better than this, I'm better than this, and we just don't have to do this anymore (laughs) if we just choose not to do it anymore. And we can get a hold of these things because, like, so much of that speech was really you know, very genuine and very, like, hopeful for for America. And the thing that, like, I really thought was really interesting is that, like, the first third of the speech was, like, very just, like, normal boilerplate, you know, I'm a politician giving a speech. But, like, around, like, the two-third mark, like, Joe Biden genuinely got, like, really upset and passionate and, like, pushing for, like, this is just unacceptable. And it just reminded me of his, you know, the whole reason that he says he ran was like after Charlottesville, he just felt like we were in a battle for the soul of America and that like he had to run. And like, I just see that every time that like that trigger goes off in his head where he feels that genuinely and gets angry about it. And like, I feel like COVID he's that, that's just like intensified that passion in him that he just like, this is just unacceptable. Like we're America. There's no reason why we should be like not being able to handle this and that we are the worst country in the planet dealing with this right now and it's unacceptable and just like you can just feel that palpably coming out of him and i think that is going to be a really really powerful closing pitch for him and if he brings that same energy that he showed in the last like two-thirds of that speech to the debates i think like trump will will be in a lot of trouble because it won't just be that biden didn't piss his pants it's that he made trump piss his (laughs) Hopefully so. Well, with that, um, I am sure we will talk about this in subsequent episodes. We'll also need to hear from uh, Kyle and Nabila about what they thought about this. Um, But for now, let's just leave it at this and say that you'll definitely hear from us probably about the platform and some other things. And let's build back better. So, Luke, thanks so much for chatting with me. Uh, Thanks for having me. That's our show for today. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod. Thanks as always to our fantastic interns, Olivia Bauer, Peyton Childers, and Kelly Dobso for their help researching this episode. Until next time, take care, y'all.